When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. We're on from 1 until 4 every day, so you're late. However, you can uh, make up <laughs> you your... You expect everybody in their seats at 104, That's right? right. You can make up for your truancy by uh, listening to the podcast after 4 o'clock on the iHeartRadio app. It's called John and Ken On Demand. Now you're here now. There's plenty of good things to come. And, of course, next hour will bring us the usual Friday thing, the Moist Line. Last hour of the show, 320 and 350. We will have a hack for the dumpster. We will talk again about the release of the video and some of the audio from the 911 call made from the Pelosi home when he, Paul Pelosi was attacked last October by a wacko guy that broke his way into the Pelosi house. That and more coming up. Uh, there's been a n- new stories concerning uh, the Antifa activists. Antifa standing for anti-fascists. They have shown up, it appears, in, in Atlanta, Georgia, and one of them uh, was shot to death in a confrontation with police, and that has resulted in a lot of chaos down there. We understand the governor of Georgia has declared a state of emergency for that area as they keep an eye on what's going on there. So um, we're going to talk now to a man that's actually, well, he was once <laughs> a part of the Antifa movement. In fact, he wrote a book, Behind the Black Mask, My Time as an Antifa Activist. Gabrielle Nadalis is on with us. Uh, Gabrielle, welcome. Thank you for having me on. Uh, it's good to have you on here. I've, I've, I find this fascinating, and I very much want to read your book. Let's start, because we do have limited time. What was your road to becoming sympathetic to joining Antifa? 
So the best way to really understand Antifa is to make sure that you distinguish it from the original one. The original one comes from the 1940s, and it's kind of died out after World War II, with the exception of anarchist groups here and there all throughout the world, right? But in the 1980s, the anti-racist action in America and the parallel of the Antifa movement in the UK started being formed. And in, they did quite a few different things. They would tour around with punk bands, uh, which is music groups, to go beat up Nazis and skinheads, right? But in the 1990s, the WTO protests happened, and there began to be a solidarity among anarchists and left-wing and radical left-wing right. groups. And the WTO yeah. protests, that was the World Trade Organization. Yeah, that was up in Seattle, as I remember. 1999. Right? That, it, yeah. that yeah. is correct. And, that was... and then from there, they're kind of... There seems to be the solidarity. And in, in 2007, the first anti-racist action chapter changed its name to the Rose City Antifa, which is the one in Portland. That's been active, continuously active since 2007. And then a lot of these anti-racist action chapters changed themselves to Antifa, calling themselves Antifa or variations of that name. And in 2011, when I first joined, I loved punk music. So I knew a lot about the history about Antifa, the W2 protests, all of that. So I wanted to get involved. I was already an activist. I just showed up to a protest where I thought Antifa was going to be. I dressed in all black. And lo and behold, they recruited me into the movement. And what, what were some of your first actions with the group? So the first time I ever put on the black mask where I knew absolutely no one, it was actually to protest the National Socialist Movement in Claremont, California. This is in March of 2011. And I knew that there was going to be actual neo-Nazis there, so I figured Antifa was going to show up. That's the first time I ever did anything, but it was really well, just can, can I ask not you much. Were you actually sure. fearful of Nazis spreading across America, or you were more interested in fighting something, anything? Well, I, th I definitely think I saw that there was a lot of issues out there that I wanted to fight for. And when I found out that the National Socialist Movement, which is an actual movement that deserves a lot of shame, was actually going to do a march uh, in my community or uh, a, a, like two, three cities from where I lived, I, I decided to just show up. And, you know, from there on, they invited me to a lot of different things all throughout Southern California, whether it be animal rights protests, anarchist book fairs. Uh, or the Occupy protests in general, that they were very big at the time. I put on the black mask several different times. What, did you engage in any violent acts of any kind? Or So I'm lucky that, you know, I was 17 at the time. I was definitely not one of the more violent persons by any means and stuff. I never got into a fight or altercation. But I do remember in Pomona, California, again in 2011, I I put on the black mask and I was trying to break down a door um, at a courthouse. Uh, there's actually a video of this and I've, I've showed it around in, in, on YouTube. Uh, you can't tell it's me, obviously, because I'm wearing all black and all that. But I remember that the police came and, and there was um, a horse-mounted um, police officer, uh, an officer on horse mount, and he started dispersing us and I was trying to run away. That, that's kind of more well, the... Extreme versions of things after that I did, you spend yeah. months and months doing this, what did you think you were accomplishing? You know, it's about what we believe is that it's all about incremental values. It's about showing up or putting our face out there and making it seem that, you know, we're actually doing something. It's all about getting more and more people, and hopefully, we make some sort of action. Um, but it's a little bit more vague or the, you look more towards like your overall arching goals. And some of the goals are to get rid of American democracy, for example, to establish things such as like anarcho-syndicalism or just 
straight out like socialism get, or something. All right, get things. rid of American democracy and replace it with what? With anarcho-syndicalism, typically, that's the most common answer you'll get. What? There's some Antifa groups that are more communism. What it, but what is that? What is that, that, that word that you're using? Sure. What, 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 what form of uh, sure. government is that? It, it's, a, it, it's a political theory that basically believes in anarchism. So, ergo, no leaders, no police officers, none of that stuff. But you have um, um, typically small businesses that are working at the very local level, and they're not owned by one person. They're typically owned by every single employee. And it's definitely it's supposed to be like everybody kind of working together to make sure that society is running together. There's it's it's so it so at a, at its core, nuances. it's dismantling our American capitalist system that yes. mo- most of us accept. And go yeah, along yeah. with. And one of the, yeah, and one of the reasons that is because when you talk to an Antifa activist, you you would think that Antifa means just fighting Nazis, fighting the KKK. But ever since the 1990s, the WTO protests, it's encompassed a lot more of that. They believe that in order to fight racism, well, you have to dismantle capitalism. In order to fight racism and, and, and fascists, you also have to fight against corporations destroying the earth. And those are some of the talking points that you will be grilled on with on well, in multiple different conversations. It seems like, too, they want to destroy police organizations. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, when the whole defund the police movement came along a few years ago, a couple of years ago, there was uh, an Antifa activist in uh, who was quoted in The New Yorker. The New Yorker asked him, okay, well, why are you trying to get rid of the police and he said something along the lines of well it's getting us one closer one step closer to anarchism to getting rid of government at all it's very incrementalism type mm-hmm. thinking so th- let me the feelings of most of the public which likes american capitalism likes their life likes having police protecting them all that doesn't matter that most of the public has no interest in what you're selling yeah, pretty much. And I mean, I, I love what you just said. You know, we just received, uh, we put out a survey, a polling survey at Our America, and we found out that 76% of Americans support the police. To Antifa, they don't care. They have a big megaphone and they're willing to use it. And one of the issues that often happens in in political debates is that we're always arguing about very fringe issues that actually very few people support. Uh, because yes. the police is one of them. A lot of people don't love the police, yet somehow we're arguing about whether we defund them. Or like another one that I love is like Latinx. Latinx is not popular within Latino communities. 99% of of Latinos reject Latinx, but somehow it's being forced down the, the throat of a lot of Americans. And one of the issues we've been seeing out of America is that, or we're trying to, to combat, is those tiny radical minorities that seem to have a huge megaphone and they try to dictate American policy when they just, they're not even that, that big. Why, why does, in your opinion, the media amplify all of this, all these well, fringe issues? See, it's pounded into everyone's head all day by the media that, yeah, these, that these are important these, things and, and we have to change. And, and that these are the proper opinions to have. When, when, when did the media join? 
and why? There's a few different reasons for this. One way is because controversy sells papers. If they are able to show this controversial issue, even though a minority of people believe, all of a sudden they're getting a lot of papers being sold. People are tuning in. But another reason why is because some of these radicals have, in fact, infiltrated some of these media institutions. I mean, let's just look at, at, at CNN, for example. For the last six or what is it now, since 2015, that's eight years now. Whew. <laughs> yeah. a while now. Anyways, um, when Antifa really became entered like the public domain and like it became kind of mainstream, you had a lot of people apologizing for Antifa. You had uh, Mark Bray, who wrote the book Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook, going on and, and saying and downplaying uh, Antifa and, and making it seem like it wasn't a big deal. And, well, the majority of Americans, I believe, that are seeing right through that. So if you look at the coverage that CNN is pushing out now, they don't even mention Antifa. I have yet to find an article about Atlanta, Georgia, and the Treehouse Antifa, all of this that's happening right now, where they mention Antifa. The only time that they mention Antifa is whenever it is to try to uh, dismiss conspiracy theories about January 6th that Antifa isn't there. So, so, so it makes right wingers look There bad. are enough people infiltrated the media and CNN that are sympathetic to Antifa that they'll go along with not putting the organization in a bad light. Yeah, I'm not necessarily that they're members or they, they just don't want, they, they see them as very aligned with their causes. Maybe they may not like the tactics. They may seem that it's a little icky, but at least they have the, their heart in the right place. They're fighting the right fight, uh, fight or the, the right opponent. You know, so let's not go through that. That's kind of the general sense that I get from a lot of reporters that refuse to name Antifa by name, despite the fact that they're very open that they're the ones organizing this violence. All right, can you hold on? Sure. All right. We're talking to Gabriel Nadalis. Uh, the book is Behind the Black Mask, My Time as an Antifa Activist. Yes, he did wear the black mask and he did engage in protests as part of the group. You want to call it Antifa, anti-fascist. But uh, he changed his ways and he's talking about what it's like to be on the inside. More coming up, including next, the keyword where you have a chance, John, at capitalist money, right? A thousand dollars in I heart money. Let's embrace America. John and Ken, KFI AM640, live everywhere, the iHeartRadio app. We continue with uh, Gabriel Nadalis. Uh, he's got a book. Yeah, Behind the Black Mask, My Time as an Antifa Activist. And he was a member. If you want to call it a member, that's something I wanted to ask him about when we get him back on the air here. Sure. But uh, yeah, this is, I've always been curious, how organized is being part of Antifa? Do you guys have meetings? Do you have leaders? Do you just communicate on social media? How do you know what demonstration to go to? How does all this work? I never understood this. I mean, it varies a lot where you're from. And just so your listeners are, know, I'm actually from the, the area. I'm from Azusa, California, so from the San Gabriel Valley. So my book talks about what I was doing in Los Angeles and Hollywood, all of those different things. So the, the best way to understand Antifa is to not see it as an organization but as a movement. And within this movement, you have several different radical left-wing groups. Some of them call themselves Antifa, but a lot of them don't. Some of them will call the 161 crew, for example. That's what they call themselves in San Francisco. But the 161 crew actually stands for 1 is A, F is 6, and A is uh, uh, 1 is A again. 161 is anti-fascist action again. But 
it, it really depends. In Southern California, where I'm from, we had our own little collective, and we try to link up with some of the anarchist groups in Los Angeles, as well as like the Claremont and, and some of the groups that, they, that were doing going on there. As far as like meeting goes, they it really again it really depends. If you have some of the, like the anarchist Black Cross, for example, they'll have more official meetings, they'll have meetups and all that. But most of the time, you have very unofficial ways of recruiting. And modernly, you actually they, they use a lot of social media. They'll put out a call to action in social media, and they'll just wait for people to answer. Uh, I think that's exactly what happened in in Atlanta. Uh, Treehouse Antifa put out a a, a call for violence. And all of a sudden, people from all around the country, they, they wanted to join in in that action. So it's both very decentralized in the way that they work, but at the same time, at the local level, they are much organ- more organized like a traditional organization. I also understand that you do go to some college campuses to talk about, you know, what you saw as part of Antifa and what your life is like now is uh, completely different. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to over 100 different college campuses. The last campus I spoke at, it was at Northern Arizona University, I believe it was. And, you know, I, I have the opportunity to talk to young students about what it means to wear the black mask, what I see, how how I believe we can combat Antifa, as well as how uh, warning them of just political extremism in general, because Antifa is not the only threat. It's one of the many threats that I what, see today in political extremism. What kind of young person joins any of these Antifa groups? Is there a profile or several profiles you notice a certain kind of person showing up over and over again? Well, it's actually a lot more diverse than people realize. There's people who there come from a l- nicer families, people who are immigrants, such as myself. I had a friend who came from a very dysfunctional family, and you know he joined because he thought he wanted to to fill that community. But it's very diverse. You'll see people who, again, come from very good families, engaging in some actions that you would think like how you had a, and why a do you th- good upbringing. Why do you what think happened? they do that? I mean, I just saw the other day that some of the uh, people arrested in Atlanta were generally from uh, more well-to-do families, educated families. What What is the appeal of this for them since they have been born uh, born more privileged than most? Well, it, there's a lot of reasons for why they do it. One reason could be because they see themselves as having a duty to give back to the community. I know it sounds twisted that breaking windows is somehow giving back to your community, but they see themselves as, uh, in a way, trying to save what they had, and maybe they don't deserve it. Maybe they, they want to make sure that everybody else has that same uh, freedom that they do. But uh, again, like their, their vision for America is typically one of anarcho-syndicalism or anarchism. And well, if you have anarchism, you know nobody's going to have a future, <laughs> right? I mean, it's going to just be... What, what made you leave the organization? Sure. I mean, um, I was sometime in my senior year of high school. I was already around them for about a year. And I remember I began to learn about Milton Friedman, Thomas Sowell, two great uh, economists. And I remember just finding them very interesting at the time, but I didn't agree with them. So I wanted to talk about their ideas with my friends. Well, once I talked to my friends about it, well, they just called me a capitalist pig. And they would (laughs) begin to ostracize me every time I brought up issues that even though I didn't believe them, I just kind of wanted to play devil's advocate. And I started to realize that a lot of them just had a lot of um, bumper sticker ideologies. They didn't want to engage in discussion about these issues. So that made me want to go out and seek people who disagree with me. I've always kind of have an open mind, and I've always wanted to ask a lot of questions. Once in college, 
I started a libertarian group just because I wanted to talk to people who disagree with me. I wanted to explore ideas that I didn't have. And slowly and surely, I slowly started changing my beliefs. But let me tell you, a lot of people always ask me, what is it that changed? What flipped me? I never saw it as a flip. The way I saw my evolution, ideological evolution, was just that. It was an evolution, a slow transition. It's back now nowadays i just can't even believe i was part of the anti-fascist movement it was just a part of my life are there other are there many others like you or are you an anomaly that i personally know and who grew up with me and did that no um there is another guy his name is aaron and he was involved in texas in the anti-fascist movement in texas a few years before me I connected with him a few years ago. He wrote a book about the same subject. Um, what is it called? It's called uh, Black Block Anarchist, and has an amazing book. He, he has a very similar experience with me uh, as mine of like being, becoming very disillusioned with people who didn't really want to discuss the problems. They just kind of wanted to attack people who disagree with them. All right. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Again, the book is Behind the Black Mask. My time is at Antifa activist Gabriel Nadalis. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Uh, we got more coming up. This is the John and Ken Show on KFI AM 640 Live everywhere, the iHeartRadio app. Well, that was a fascinating uh, conversation. Yeah, with the former Antifa guy. This is, and, uh, if you're uh, just joining us, this is something you want to listen to on the uh, podcast. Soon as we're done with the show, Gabriel yeah, Gabriel Nadalis was our guest. Yes, yeah, and he wrote a book behind the black mask. My time as an Antifa activist, which he which he did for about a year, and what's fascinating is because I, I feel like we've all been held hostage by a combination of like uh, anarchists and and woke uh, activists. And whatever they say goes, and they disrupt life. I mean, they were burning Portland for six months, and now they're they're burning things in Atlanta. And I'm thinking, which was covered by the main media as a largely peaceful protest. Yeah, that's how they like to cover it. It's but, largely peaceful. What he said, oh yeah, a few people burned uh, some buildings and broke some windows, but you know what? For the most part, they're out there for the right cause. Right, but what they have is a new generation of generalists. J- journalists, rather, who are very sympathetic to Antifa's overall causes. Well, they won't even talk about them. Name right. them. They'll just say so, they're active. They're peaceful demonstrators. So they're not really journalists. What they are are propagandists. But they happen to work for recognized news organizations. And so people get fooled because they see the CNN mic flag and they assume they're getting straight news like CNN used to be 20 years ago. When right. actually, it's a lot of these, if they're not outright members, they're, they're very sympathetic. They think, okay, that's my team, that's my horse. I'm not going to do a story that puts them in a bad light and hurts the cause. No, right. I think that's very much what happens. So yes. that's what we're looking at, and, and it's the same thing with these, these woke activists, and, and that's why they constantly give us new language that we're supposedly forced to use. Like that AP story we did before, where we suddenly... The style book, right? Yeah, we can't call people the homeless or the mentally ill. It's people experiencing this or that. And it's like, well, that's obviously some type of activist who's got a responsible position at the Associated Press, but that's not a journalist. That's a propagandist. And now he's in charge of language in order to re-indoctrinate people on the proper way to think and speak. And it's happening so slowly drip by drip that people don't realize um the the level of indoctrination that's going on now in the media 
You get a sense of it, but it's hard to believe that they really have infiltrated. They have the jobs. They're get they're on the payroll. Right. And they're trying to reshape how we think and how we talk. All right. Uh, now we're going to pause on the John and Ken show for a sad moment of silence, Deborah Mark. Why? What happened? P-81 is dead. We have lost another mountain lion. P-81 was killed by a vehicle on January 22nd. This story just came out on the Pacific Coast Highway near Las Posas Road in the western Santa Monica Mountains. This was a four-year-old mountain lion that got tagged, and they give him the name P-81. According to the story, it's the 34th mountain lion to die on an area highway. And they're concerned because obviously the numbers are shrinking. And of course, the whole thing. When is that P-22 event at uh, the Creek Theater? Isn't that coming up, I think, next month, right? Yeah. The, the memorial service the memorial. For, for, for P-22. What did, that, what did that do to the guy's car? It doesn't say. Uh, it doesn't say. It says. Now, it says here, the, the male lion was tagged with a tracking collar in 2020. This part is fascinating. Was said to be a significant component in the more than 20-year Park Service study of area cougars because of physical abnormalities. He had a kinked tail shaped like the letter L at the end, and he only had one descended testicle. And they're saying this is probably because of inbreeding due to a lack of genetic diversity. So that's another concern they have. There are so few left well, the, uh, that they're inbreeding and that's causing well, some abnormalities. The freeways divide the mountains, right? Yes. Uh, so the 405 keeps the lions that live on the western side apart from those who live on the eastern side. Oh, I see. Which is so they don't. Uh, they mate. don't. Yeah, they they don't mix genetically. And the same thing uh, on the 101. Oh, there. Uh, which is which is why they're they're. I think that also splits east and west, as 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 the road turns to the north towards Ventura, and they're building yeah. they're building that. Uh, Wildlife overpass to go from one side to the other. I have a feeling whoever did this didn't, it was like a hit and run because I don't believe they just found the mountain lion's body and they're determining when they're going to do a necropsy. Uh, somebody, somebody to drove, determine whether, yeah, somebody drove, hit him and kept going. Right. Somebody drove home with a real busted up. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, a four year old mountain lion will be oh, sizable. Very but, sad. Uh, yeah, I told you we're going to have a moment of, of silence. Uh, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just looking. Uh, I, how many? What's the mountain lion population near Los Angeles? And yeah. this answer says about two dozen. That ain't much. No, but that's if you're saying near Los Angeles, that excludes probably being way up there on the. Yeah, right. I I don't know what the, what the uh, it's the National Park Service. Yeah, remember P twenty two was the only one that was in Griffith Park. That's why they thought that was rather unusual because he had crossed the one hundred and one on the four hundred and five to get there. The National Park Service says they think ten to fifteen adult mountain lions in the Santa Monica Mountains, which is P eighty one is the thirty fourth mountain lion since two thousand two to die from road mortality. They called it. Hmm. And uh, of that number, thirteen were collared. They had the radio collar. That's why they called it Just 13, yeah. Now on to the real world of the homeless. We talked before about how L.A. Metro with the subways has had a problem. Well, they don't really care, except people were complaining that when they get to the end of the line, such as in Long Beach, the train that comes from downtown Los Angeles to Long Beach, 
the vagrants get off and just start wandering the streets. Uh, basically, what you have is sort of a rolling uh, mentally ill asylum of homeless people. Uh, Metro is uh, not, it's not going to change their policy of emptying the trains with the passengers at night. But apparently what they want to do is put in service hubs at 13 rail line endpoints to hopefully deal better with the homeless that get off and hook them up with services so they're not wandering the streets. Um, story goes on to say that some of the workers, they felt endangered because they'd go on to clean the trains at the end of the line and maybe they have to move the homeless out of the way to do some mopping and cleaning and it get hostile situations. These people are dangerous. They create disgusting conditions. So, of course, passengers aren't normal people aren't going to take the trains. And who wants to work under those conditions? I, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's so obvious. I cannot imagine while the Metro board and the CEO is Stephanie Wiggins. She must be a piece of work. You just ban all these homeless people from the train, period. You never let them get on. They don't pay. They usually don't pay. They don't pay. it. That There's a good enough reason right there. You don't even have to get into a civil rights argument. You don't have the money. You don't get a ride. Yeah, they should probably I, go, have somebody go on the trains because, and try to check and see if somebody has paid the fare. And if they didn't, they're off at the next stop. Because they're not being used for transportation. They're being used. No, it's a shelter. It's a it's rolling a sh- shelter. It's a shelter. So you don't have any any obligation to let people on just to live there. I don't understand why they're so timid about this. Because the no. passengers who would use it for transportation, if there are any left, aren't going to. The other places are having problems, and we I think we talked to a resident one time, Azusa. Uh, there's apparently the, the gold line ends there, and then we have the western terminus of the E-line, formerly the Expo line in Santa Monica. And uh, the Azusa mayor says, my residents tell me there have been dozens of homeless. The residents say they're boisterous. They camp right there at the promenade. Yeah, it's the same story over and over again. 39 on average, 39 riders exit the train every night in downtown Long Beach. Oh, listen to this. They might copy the idea. Philadelphia has the hub of hope. At the end of the train lines, they built a place with uh, showers, case managers, and counseling services. Yeah. But Metro says funding is going to be an issue. Really? Oh, you know what oh. I heard? Uh, I think it was Paul Krikorian, right? Is the president of the council now, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, I heard him on the radio this morning. He said, well, if they're going to ask us for money, no, we already spent huge sums of money on the homeless in L.A. We're not giving Metro money for their service hubs. It was kind of uh, Metro unusual. Has bi- Metro has billions of dollars. They, yeah, they, but they want to make riding the subways and buses free. That's the next big movement that's going on. So, Well, the only people using them are the homeless, and they're not paying anyway. I, there isn't exactly. much money at stake there. Ridership is very low among normal people. And the homeless aren't paying, and they don't enforce people who uh, don't pay fares, whether you're homeless or not. Listen to this. Uh, an average of 39 homeless riders exit that Long Beach train every night between December 7th and December 10th and December 12th and 13th. Metro counted 234 people getting kicked off the four A-line trains. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, that, that's, it, this, this, is the, this is the anarchy. This is the anarchic breakdown of Los Angeles here. It's not just outside groups creating mayhem. It's the inside bureaucracy. It's people like Stephanie Wiggins, incapable, unwilling to do what's obvious and throw these people off the trains and keep them off, block them, spend the money, get the security, and ban them. 
I, I, right. I mean, no one, no one is going to question that strategy. All right, we got more coming up. It's the John and Ken Show on KFI AM 640, live everywhere, the iHeartRadio app. Yes, something funny? I, nothing. I, I, I would, oh, not, you can't no, share it. No, I can't. Like, these things always come like seconds before you're well, about to speak. I'm, something so, cracks you up. Sometimes I'm I'm reading stuff, you know, during the commercial break. And, oh, um, I'm aware of that. Yeah. Sometimes you wait and for I the just, music prompt to say, I, oh, yeah, that's right. We're, I, we're doing I, something here. I got to come back on and say something. I now. just read something just incredibly insensitive. That's all, which was also very funny. Which you find funny, of yes. course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coming up in the 3 o'clock hour, uh, we'll take a look at the, uh, the Paul Pelosi case. They have released a video. And audio from the attack on Paul Pelosi last October at their Pelosi home in San Francisco. This, of course, uh, David DePape is the attacker's name. And uh, strange story still, but a few things got cleared up. Uh, We'll play the 911 call and talk about it. That will be followed by uh, the Moist Line, part one. The Moist Line, part two, is at the end of the show. And in between, we will toss somebody into the dumpster. The big National story today also concerns body cam police video. This, of course, is from Memphis, Tennessee, where uh, a couple of weeks ago, a black motorist was stopped by the police and beaten. And he died several days later in the hospital. His name is Tyree Nichols. And uh, they're telling us that this was a ferocious beating by the five police officers involved. They were immediately removed from the force and then charged with murder. So it appears that they've taken care of uh, the legal aspect of this case rather quickly. Of course, their their lawyer is only complaining that they're also charged with kidnapping, which is kind of an odd. They were charged with second-degree murder, but they also face kidnapping charges. Um which is described as the unlawful confinement of a person while restrained. The lawyer said if it was a legal definition to begin with, it certainly becomes illegal at a certain point and was unlawful detention. Well, this is supposed to be worse than the Rodney King beating, according to insiders who've seen the video. Well, he died, so I would imagine so. And You know uh, who I thought of was Kelly Thomas. That's yeah. who I thought of when I saw this. Kelly Thomas, of course, this is going back to 2011. Yeah, he was a homeless was, man in Orange County who was beaten by a, several Fullerton police officers, and he died sometime later in a hospital. And the police chief in Memphis says we're going to see acts in the body cam video that defy humanity. So, yeah, they're really, is, I don't know whether or not they're doing that just to get people prepared or whether maybe it won't be so bad when they see it because they're hearing I, all this. And I, they're thinking this is going to be so horrendous. It's going to be released at 7 o'clock clock memphis time yeah four o'clock oh, time. Oh, actually six o'clock memphis time because they're in the central time zone why would you release the video when it's already dark because if there is going to be rioting well i uh, did hear one official say it's because it's late on a friday we think it'll won't get as much coverage or as much reaction because in this you know world, that idea of dumping bad news john late on a friday night does that work anymore with the 24-hour internet I, that's all i heard them cable say, channels I, People are going to see this all over social media, and that's where everybody is all the time. Now, it's just, the it's victim just... was black, and the five cops are black. So race is kind of off the table, but I think where this is heading is just the anti-police furor that's out there. Well, we're going to see... Maybe race doesn't matter anymore. People are just tired of the police. Or we're going to see how much of the riots two years ago was about police, or how much was it to uh, you know scream white supremacy. Oh, there the was George a, Floyd movement. Yeah, you mean? in the George yeah. Floyd movement, there was a lot of that. 
And right. was was that the bigger issue than the police? No. Depend you know, depends on the group, we'll see. But uh th- this uh I mean Derek Chauvin, what he did to George Floyd is he put remember they put the knee on the neck, so this was a, a slow, torturous death. This is Yeah, I think to be, this one is just a ferocious beating. Yeah. And I, I heard one of the, I think it was one of the attorneys talking today that these guys have been known to uh, beat up a lot of citizens. That they're oh, off- these particular officers yeah. or just the Memphis police? Well, they're, 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 they're part of a, a group uh, like the Scorpion Unit. Oh, like these police gangs? I don't know if it's a police <laughs> gang or it's a special unit oh, to, a deal, special unit that, to uh, deal with certain kinds of crime. Supposedly he was they, reckless driving, which yeah, I even, I know. they're not even it's, sure that's true. I know. Well, that's the thing is right now you're going to get you're going to get news that's false. There's going to be a lot of false news floating right. around. That's just the nature of these stories. So right. we're going to have to uh, uh, wait until official reports come out, you know, from courts. And, yeah, I, uh, but I've yet to read anything that in any way defends these officers. So I don't know right. what I'm going to no, see after they, four o'clock. But uh, they don't, they don't see I'm them. not reading a lot that says that, uh, you know, there was a reason for them. No. Beating this man who apparently is uh, six foot three, but only weighs 150 pounds. So he was not really a, a big or a strong guy. He was a tall guy, but not a particularly you know, hefty guy. That's that's uh, Tyree, apparently, according to his family. So um, I don't know. I guess all five. Uh, well, we'll find out with the video. Just what. But they're warning people that this is going to be horrendous. And of course, there is a. Uh, they're really on watch in, in Memphis and really the whole state of Tennessee, uh, hoping that uh, the protests are peaceful, as usual, whatever comes out of this. Uh, he did linger on life support for three days. Four of them were bailed. Four of the cops have bailed out already. Yes, they have. Right. Yeah. Uh, it says here an ambulance arrived at the scene to aid Nichols, but only after some period of time of waiting around. That's also kind of weird. So well, just you know, like with George Floyd, they didn't really care if he got you know, any medical help. Or... This, this is a lot of this stuff goes on in the real world. You know, d- despite all the protests and all the media coverage, you can't change human nature. No. And uh, there, there are certain police officers who are very violent, probably easily could have been criminals. And uh, they, they bonded together uh, as some kind of gang. I mean, we certainly have that in L.A. in the big police departments. And it, it's, al- it's always going to happen. Yeah, the lawyer for the Nichols family says that they acted together as a pack of wolves to inflict harm, terrorism, oppression of liberty, oppression of constitutional rights, which led to murder. And there could have been the ferocious... And you and I have seen this after some chases uh, in the past. Sometimes the cops are just so adrenaline-fueled, mm, right? Yeah. And they're like, this guy, you let it... I mean, we could have died yeah. driving these roads, and it just they get to him, they just can't help themselves. They just start whomping on them. Guy, guys, well, because human beings lose control. If you've got they enough do. adrenaline pumping in you, if you've been in a life-threatening situation or a situation you perceive as life-threatening, uh, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna unleash all this adrenaline, all this uh, fury. You're you're now you're just you're just chemicals that are flooding your brain and triggering you know, violent reactions. Some are saying that uh, unlike other cases, they did act swiftly here. They got the body cam, and I'm talking about charging these guys with murder already. Because uh, when, when this happened, did you hear about the story? It was, it did was not five six days ago. Yeah, I didn't hear about it until the arrests were announced. I I heard about it before the arrests were announced. I think when he died, I heard about it, but uh, it was not a big story. Yeah, it's interesting. 
uh, I think this happened, what date was it? Two weeks ago? Five, a couple of weeks. I think five or six days ago. I don't know. Oh, the actual the, the actual, actual beating? beating? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, maybe if I'm wrong, then I thought I saw a date earlier than that. But uh, all right. When we come back, we'll talk about the uh, Paul Pelosi getting hit with the hammer. Uh, it was January 7th, John, so I'm right. Oh, was that it was, one? It was a couple weeks ago. Wow. How does the story... January 7th, he died on the 10th. Now, uh, now seriously, how, how does it go this long? 20 days before becoming a major story. I think because the body cam video became more seen by more people maybe right. within the police and prosecutors offices. And that became, wow, this is indefensible, I, I guess. All right. We'll talk about the uh, released body cam video, Capitol Police surveillance video, 911 call audio of Paul Pelosi being attacked. John and Ken KFI AM 640 live everywhere. The iHeartRadio app. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.